Well, welcome everyone to Sunday service. Welcome to all of our guests at the Expanding Light, those watching online and those of you who are living nearby and in the community. I am Tiagi Lisa, and this is Nayaswami Gyandev, and it's our joy to be here with you today. And I wanted to mention if you are new here and have any questions about Ananda, um, we do have someone in the foyer of the temple after service who could answer questions and give you information about us. And also there will be lunch that you can purchase at the Expanding Light Retreat if you would like to stay. Okay. So our reading from Rays of the One Light today, the weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita, is did God create the universe or become it? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, chapter one, contains a passage that explains the essential truth that creation is a process of becoming. The universe is not separate from God the creator, but a part of him even as our own dream creations during sleep are figments of our consciousness. God's is the life, God's the reality. Not a melody could be composed, not a poem written, were the melody and the poem not already there, simply waiting to be expressed. In him was life, and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Ego-directed desire is like static. It distorts the radioed messages of infinity, but the pristine impulse from the divine, undistorted by limitation and delusion, is the life that gives rise to all that is. As the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, I am the fluidity of water, I am the silver light of the moon and the golden light of the sun. I am the Om chanted in all the Vedas, the cosmic sound moving as if soundlessly through the ether. I am the manliness of men. I am the good sweet smell of the moist earth. I am the luminescence of life, the sustaining life of all living creatures. I am self-offering in those who would expand their little lives into cosmic life. O oh, Arjuna, know me as the eternal seed of all creatures. In the perceptive, I am their perception. In the great, I am their greatness. In the glorious, it is I who am their glory. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning. I'd like to share a brief passage from Whispers from Eternity, book of Pramansu Gananda's Poems and Prayer Demands. And you'll soon see why I chose this one. The Rocket of My Love. I withdrew the life force from my body. 
The breath which had kept me tied to the burden of flesh no longer shook my awareness. My rocket of life penetrated through the star in the all-seeing eye of light in my forehead. The rocket soared outward, its cone of focused concentration and deep feeling exploded to oneness with the countless atoms of space and with the little points of self-awareness in all beings. At last, like an expanding cloud nebula, I embraced the vast spirit beyond space itself to enter the heart of thine omnipresent silence. Over the past year, so I've found myself somewhat fascinated with space and space travel. And I think it was in part uh, that last year was not only the 50th anniversary of Ananda Village, but the 50th anniversary of the first landing on the moon. So I read about the Apollo project, and I read about the International Space Station. And most recently, I came across a very interesting book by three prominent astrophysicists, um, basically uh, expounding kind of what's known about the universe at this point in time. I thought this morning I'd start out having a little bit of fun, uh, sharing with you some of what they shared, in a slightly different way perhaps, uh, about what's known of this universe. Uh, one fact which you might be aware of is how many stars there are in the known universe. And the, they started out by deducing how many stars there are in the average galaxy, which is about 100 billion. <laughs> Ours has 300 billion. We're better. But an average galaxy has about 100 billion. Now, how much is 100 billion? How much is a billion? Um, well, one of the astrophysicists had a, an idea to make this more understandable for us lay people. And he chose a, somewhat of an analogy that I might not have chose, but I'll go with his. And that was to get a, because he was trying to relate it to mostly to the American public. And he thought, billions, billions, how will they relate to billions? Ah, every time you drive past a McDonald's restaurant, <laughs> you see the sign, billions and billions served. Americans get this. So, here's how he put it. He said, if you had 100 billion hamburgers and you sort of put them side by side, started to string them out from Ananda Village, I'm changing his a little bit, from Ananda Village, how far would you get? He said, would you get to Denver? Yes. Would you get to Chicago? Yep. Would you get to New York City? Absolutely. And if you could make them float, <laughs> okay, you could make it across the Atlantic to Europe and then go across Europe and across Asia all the way to the eastern shore of Russia. And then they'd float again across the Pacific over to California and make their way back up to Ananda Village. So this. <laughs> 100 billion hamburgers would go all the way around the Earth, but not just that once, 216 times, <laughs> with a bunch left over. 
And you could take the leftover ones and stack them to the moon and back. <laughs> That's how many stars there are in the average galaxy. Now, we can take it a step further because we want to know how many stars there are in the entire un known universe. And there are about 100 billion known galaxies in the universe. So if every one of those burgers had its own set of 100 billion burgers, that would be how many stars there are in the known universe. A bunch. <laughs> I prefer the technical term, there are oodles of stars in the known universe. And how big is the known universe? Well, they found that it's 93 billion light years in diameter. Now, 93 billion, let's round that up to 100 billion, because now that we understand 100 billion, thanks to McDonald's, we can, we can work with that number. And besides, the universe is known to be expanding at a ferocious rate, and it won't be long before it gets to be 100 billion light years in diameter. So we'll leave it at that. But what's a light year? I mean, we all know a light year is how far light travels in a year, but who can get their mind around that? Well, I chose something simpler to get my mind around. How far is it from the Earth to the sun? Okay, that's easy. On a sunny day, you go outside, you're here, it's there. Yeah, <laughs> about like that. And 63,000 of those, give or take a few, is a light year. So 100 billion times 63,000 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun is about the diameter of the known universe. Again, I prefer the technical term. The known universe is ginormous. <laughs> but what really I enjoyed about this book, or at least one part I especially enjoyed, was about the Big Bang. See, I've had some worries for quite some time about the Big Bang, because I've heard it said that the Big Bang happened out of a singularity. Now, I come from a math background, not a physics background. And to a mathematician, a singularity is zero-dimensional. It's like a dot, okay, but with zero dimensions to it. And I didn't like the idea of something having come from nothing. In fact, a whole lot of something having come from nothing. This ginormous universe with its oodles of stars and planets and everything else having come from nothing. I'm not going there. So I was very relieved to hear from the astrophysicists that that's not what happened, that the Big Bang really did come from something. And what it was, was a ginormous amount of energy compacted into pretty doggone small space. And believe it or not, they've calculated how big that space was. It was a fraction of a centimeter. And not just any fraction, but a very, very small fraction. In the numerator of the fraction was three. And the denominator was one followed by 27 zeros. 
three times 10 to the minus 27 centimeters. That's how big this ginormous universe came from, that tiny, tiny little thing. So instead of saying three times 10 to the minus 27 centimeters, I prefer the scientific term, itsy bitsy. <laughs> so how does this relate to today's topic? <laughs> Other than that the universe is in the title of the topic. I just think it's incredible how much information scientists have been able to extract from a universe that they can barely see and certainly cannot visit. It's just amazing, but it's a particular type of information. It is, you could call it, external information or superficial information. I'll just share with you the way Yogananda uh, describe this as distinguished from the kind of information that the yogi wants to get. He said, the difference between human and divine wisdom is that the human mind comes at things indirectly, from without. The scientist, for example, investigates the atom objectively, but the yogi becomes the atom. Divine perception is always from within. From within alone can a thing be understood in its true essence. You know, once uh, Yogananda's first disciple in this country, Dr. Lewis, asked Yogananda a question. He said, Master, um, when I get to the point of experiencing samadhi, cosmic consciousness, how will I know that I'm not just imagining it? because I've been visualizing it all these years and trying to, trying to feel what it might be like, how will I know that it's real when I, when I actually get there? And Yogananda's answer was, he said, you'll know and you'll know that you know. You'll know and you'll know that you know. That's the only kind of knowing that is real, that is lasting, that, that we, it's when we experience it that the, most of the information that the scientists get, the astrophysicists were getting incredible, brilliant people were working very hard. They're getting the information totally through the senses or through, through instruments that amplify the senses and through the intellect. And as we all know, the senses can be deceived and the intellect can deceive itself and does on a fairly regular basis. It's only when we really experience something that we can know it. Meanwhile, what do we have going for us before we get that experience? We have beliefs, oodles of beliefs, ginormous beliefs, itsy-bitsy beliefs, but we run on beliefs until we experience. I, I remember the, the first time I came to uh, an understanding of what I really knew. Uh, it was humbling because I realized that the only thing I knew was that I exist. I didn't even know how I exist, in what way I exist.
whether I was just a thought in somebody else's mind. That always terrified my college roommate. That <laughs> he, was, he was a physicist, and if there was one thing he couldn't stand, it was the thought that he might be nothing more than a thought in somebody's mind. <laughs> but we don't know. We don't know until we spell. I realized that was, no, I, I knew two things. One, I knew that I exist. And two, I knew that that was the only thing I knew. The rest of it is just belief. And beliefs are good things, by and large. They can give us, well, they have the potential to give us understanding, but also misunderstanding. But they give us a sense of direction, where we want to go in life, whether we're looking for God or hoping to accomplish something outward, they give us direction. What we believe will work. They give us motivation. Okay, what will happen if we do this correctly and get the result we want? So there's a lot of good things going for beliefs as long as we have the attitude that we're willing to test them. That we're not wedded to our beliefs until our beliefs have become experience. Swami Kriyananda used to distinguish the kind of learning that we do in school versus the kind of learning that we do in the spiritual path. In school, it's a process of taking on information. That is learning. And on the spiritual path, learning is a process of shedding false understanding, shedding false beliefs. And this was really a part of the spiritual path for all of us, is to catch ourselves when we had a belief that just doesn't work. Here's an, I want to share with you another quotation from Paramahansa Yogananda. He said, because of man's unquestioning acceptance of many delusive thoughts of physical limitation, he allows them to control his present sphere of existence. Thinkers do not accept the inevitable. They turn their efforts toward changing it. This is the ingredient that makes progress possible. And again, that's on, that's on all levels, whether one is speaking about the spiritual path or getting things done in this world. And there are many icons through the ages of people who've gotten things done in this world. And I think one icon of this age is a man by the name of Elon Musk, who has really refused to believe a lot of things that most people have believed and has been doing some pretty astonishing things. I remember uh, not long ago, in my, once again in my space era, uh, I was watching an interview with Scott Kelly, who is uh, the first American, the only American, to have spent a year in space on the International Space Station. And one of the uh, questions from the audience was, what do you think of Elon Musk's plans to colonize Mars? Now, for those of you who might not know this, Elon Musk is very concerned that the human race may get extinguished next time Earth gets visited by a rather large asteroid like what happened to the dinosaurs, and he thinks that we can't afford to be a single, we have to be a multi-planet species. So he really wants to get there. 
So somebody asked Scott Kelly about this aspiration of Elon Musk. And in addition to being an astronaut, Scott Kelly is a scientist, as most of the astronauts are. They have advanced degrees in various fields of science. So he's not just a space tourist. Uh, he, knows about, he knows about these things. And he gave what I thought was a wonderful answer to the question. He said, Elon Musk said that he was going to make a rocket that could launch something into space and then come back, land safely, and be reused. And I thought, this guy is nuts. And then he went and did it. So I have nothing to say about what Elon Musk can or cannot do. <laughs> I thought that was a very, a very uh, clear-minded response. But it's that, you know, Master said that we could, if we would just stop holding on to beliefs that hold us back, we could, we could see the astral colors. He said the human eye or the eye-brain combination is capable of seeing the astral colors, which are far more, far more vibrant than the colors we see in this physical world, but they are habituated to not seeing them. Isn't that interesting? We are habituated to not seeing them. And it's our habituation to beliefs, to, uh, uh, to identification with this or with that, with age, with gender, and so many other smaller things, our attachment to situations that keeps us from seeing life as it is. We can call to God all we want, reveal that self, reveal that self, but if we're holding on to habits, to identifications, to attachment, God's going to have a real difficult time revealing himself to us. So when we, when we come to something like the, the, the Gita reading today, and God is basically saying, everything that there is, I am that. For most of us, that is just a belief. And for many of us, it's a far out belief. It's just like, I don't know what to do with that because I'm willing to believe it, but, but how do I perceive it? And, and it sounds a little, you read it the wrong way, it sounds a little egotistical actually, uh, sounds like uh, Muhammad Ali, for, for example. For those of you who are young and missed the show, uh, Muhammad Ali was a great, great show. He um, was the most outstanding boxer of his time and perhaps ever, but uh, more outstanding was his personality. And uh, I can just hear him saying that Gita reading, I am the man in this of men. You know, <laughs> <laughs> In the great, I am their greatness, you know? In the glorious, it is I who am their glory. There's, he, someone once accused him of bragging, and his answer was, ain't bragging if you can do it. <laughs> and I can just, just see God in reference to that Gita, Gita passage, ain't bragging if you are it. So, what do we do with that passage? We, we experiment. 
we begin to experiment. An experiment like this, there, there probably should be a warning label. You know, warning, trying this experiment may be hazardous to your ego. <laughs> and it might be quite uncomfortable at the same time because to, to really practice the sense that it is all God sincerely takes, takes some effort, takes some humility, takes some being awake to practice this. But one of my, you know, just reading the beautiful letter that Naisami Prakash wrote about the, the passing of, of Naisami Ramdas recently. This is a, the Ananda village Ramdas and not the uh, spiritual teacher, the American Ramdas, who also recently passed, reminded me of a third Ramdas, Swami. Ramdas, an Indian Swami, a great, great soul of the uh, 20th century. And I'd like to tell you a little story about him. God bless technology. <laughs> and the people, I put a little collage of photographs of uh, Swami Ramdas, who led a very interesting life. He just one day, in the midst of family life, heard the call to God to leave it all and be a sadhu. And he just walked out the door and never returned. And he lived as a wandering sadhu, uh, mostly in the, uh, much in the south of India. And he had one, many wonderful adventures, which he relates in some of his books. Um, he wrote several books. And I'd like to share one example of him living those verses from, from the Gita, that everything is God. He was st staying in a small room in a, uh, in a rest house on some temple grounds. And the room was just had hardly anything in it, just a few of his possessions. He had a couple of mats, had an umbrella. Uh, he had a hurricane lamp and some religious books. A water pot. That was basically all he had. And one night, he was just sitting on the floor of his room when a man burst into his room, a very strange-looking, disheveled-looking man. His clothes were all torn and ragged, and he was carrying a bundle on a, on a palm stick. And uh, he just asked if he could stay. And Ramdas said, yes, may stay. So the man sat down and unwrapped his bundle, which, which was a big collection, of, sort of a bizarre collection of stray bits of colored cloth. And he set them out very, very carefully. And Ramdas was watching this, and he just had the thought, oh, Lord, thou comest in wonderful disguises. <laughs> and the man looked at him at that point and laughed. Then he gathered up all this cloth, put it back, put it back in the bundle. And he said, I would like to have that outer cloth of yours. For Ramdas's brother had given him two outer cloths to wrap himself in. And Ramdas took off the outer cloth and gave it to him. And the man then started to chant a little bit in a very bizarre sing-song voice. And after a while, he stopped and looked at Ramdas. He said, I want that other outer cloth of yours. 
Well, Ramdas gave him the other outer cloth and said, now let us lay down and sleep. So they both lay down and sleep. Five minutes later, the man popped up again. He said, I would like that water pot. Ramdas gave him the water pot. And this continued through the night. Uh, the man asked for the umbrella. Ramdas gave it to him. He, he asked for the uh, hurricane lamp. Ramdas gave it to him. The religious books. Ramdas gave it to him. Thing after thing after thing. Uh, as he started to wrap them up in his bundle, which was getting rather big at, at this time. And, and Ramdas said, Oh Lord, thy tests are wonderful. Everything is thine and thine alone. The man looked at him and he said, you may regret this after I leave, will you not? Ramdas said, no, of course not. You are Ram himself. You are only taking your own things. The man said, one more thing. Your spectacles. Ramdas took off his spectacles and gave them to the man. He was certain that God himself had indeed come to, to test him. Ram, then the man said, and one more. It is yours, Ram. Take whatever you want. He said, your loincloth. <laughs> Ram Dost started to take it off. He got it most of, the, most of the way off. The man said, no, never mind. I do not need it. <laughs> he got up to go. He said, will you come with me? Ram Dost said, by all means, Ram, I will come with you. He said, not, not now. Later you come with me. He just walked to, went to step out the door into the pouring monsoon. And he turned and said, what do you think of me? I am not mad. I am not. And Ramdas could barely speak. He was so choked with emotion. He said, you are he. You are he. And the man left. Ramdas sat to meditate. He meditated through the rest of the night into the morning. It was broad daylight when he finished and there was a crowd gathered outside this little room because someone had come to bring him breakfast and had noticed that all the things that Ram Dass had had, he didn't have anymore. He thought a thief had come, or Ram Dass was perhaps meditating and just made off with everything. So they asked Ram Dass what happened. Ram Dass said, the Lord provideth through one form and taketh away through another. And that didn't satisfy the crowd at all. They wanted an explanation. So Ramdas told them everything that had happened. And when someone suggested the man should be hunted down and captured, Ramdas said, for what fault of his? He was just taking the things that were his own. He was the Lord himself. And everybody, knowing Ramdas, accepted that explanation and went away. And soon Ramdas's brotherhood restored all the things that had been that Ramdas had given away and he wanted to to restore his spectacles as well and Ramdas said no no perhaps the the lord may have deprived Ramdas he always talked about himself in the third person perhaps the lord has deprived Ramdas of his spectacles because he might not need them in the future and indeed from that day on for the rest of his life until he was quite old. Ramdas did not wear spectacles because his vision had been completely restored. Beautiful story of just living the dream, living the belief that 
God is everything, then everything that comes to us is from God. It's not easy. But if it's the ultimate truth, what could be more irresistible than testing it, at least now and then? And I know there are people in this community who live it on a regular basis, whether through the giving of resources or giving of time or giving of skills or giving of kindness or service. And you see it in their lives. You see the happiness that comes. You see the freedom that comes. And you think, okay, um, I know the great saints do this, and that sometimes makes it unapproachable because it seems so far. But here are my friends. Here are my guru bhais. Here are people I watch on a day-to-day basis. They're doing it. Maybe I could do it too. And may we all strive to do that in our lives. God bless you. What is What is love? What is love?
Love we touch in the cloud.